Hello, and welcome to FRE's Book Club, where we read so you don't have to. Today we'll be reading Alex Ryder by Anthony Horowitz. Chapter 8 Death in the Long Grass. Alex was woken up by an indignant Nadia Volley knocking at his door. He had overslept. This morning is your last opportunity to experience the stormbreaker, she said. Right, Alex replied. This afternoon we begin to send the computers out to the school. Harold say, has it suggested that you take the afternoon for leisure? A walk grabs into Port Talon. There's a footpath that goes through the fields and then by the sea. You will do that? Yes, yes. I'd like that. Good. And now I'll leave for you to put on some clothing. I'll come back for you in ten minutes. Alex splashed cold water on his face before getting dressed. It had been four o'clock by the time he had gone back into his room and he was still tired. His night expedition hadn't been the, quite the success he hoped. He'd seen so much of submarine silver boxes, death of the guard who died to drop one, and yet he still hadn't learned much of anything. Jason Gregorovich was working for Harold's sale. That much was certain. But what about the boxes? They could have contained packed lunches for the staff of Steel Enterprises for all he knew. Except you don't kill a man for dropping a packed lunch. Today was March 31st. As Volley had said, the computers were on their way out. There was only one day until the ceremony at the Science Museum, but Alex had nothing to report, and the one piece of information that he had sent Nehemiah's diagram had also drawn a blank. There had been a reply waiting for him on the screen of his game when he turned on before going to bed. Unable to recognise diagram or letters or numbers, possible map referred, but unable to source map. Please sh- transmit with further observations. Alex had thought of transmitting the fact that he actually cited President Gorovich, but he wanted to see decided against it. His suggestion was there, but Stuart promised to pull him out. Suddenly, Alex wanted to see this through to the end. Something was going on at the enterprises, and he never forgave himself if he didn't find out what it was. Nadia Vole came back from his promise, and he spent the next three hours toying with the Stormbreaker. This time, he enjoyed himself less. At this time, he noticed he when he went, went to the door, the garden closer to the corridor outside. It seemed several enterprises weren't taking any more chances when he where he was concerned. One o'clock arrived and with it a sandwich delivered in the paper plate. Ten minutes later the guards released him from the room and escorted him far as the main gate. It was a glorious afternoon, the sun shining as he walked onto the, out onto the road. He took a last look back at Mr Grimm. Mr Grimm had just come out from the buildings and standing some distance away. Talking into a mobile telephone. There was something unnerving about the sight. I should be making the telephone call now, and who could possibly understand the word he said. It was only once he'd left the plant that Alice was able to relax, away from the fences, the armed guard, and the sense of threat that pervaded Sayo Enterprises. It was as if he was breathing fresh air for the first time in days. The Cornish countryside was beautiful, the rolling hills, a lush green dotted with wildflowers. He found the footpath and turned off the road. From the lay of the land, I remember the cottage that brought him here. He guessed what talent was a couple of miles away. A walk less than an hour if the route wasn't too hilly. In fact, the path clamped upward quite steeply almost at once, and Alex found himself perched over a clear blue, sparkling in the English channel, following a track that zigzagged peculiarly over the edge of the cliff. To one side of him, the field stretched into the distance, with the long grass bending in the breeze. To the other, there was a fort at least 500 feet to the rocks and water below. Port Talon itself was at the very end of the cliffs, tucked together against the sea. 
Gomu took two quotes from it, like a model in the black and white Hollywood film. He came to the break in the path, much tougher track, neither go away from the sea and across the field. His instincts were thought to go straight ahead, while the footpath pointed to the right. There was something strange about the sign. Alex hesitated from him, wondered where it was, then he just dismissed it. He was walking the countryside and the sun was shining. What could possibly be wrong? He followed the sign. The path continued rising and rising and falling, falling and falling for about another quarter of a mile, then dipped down to a hollow. Here the grass was almost as tall as he was. Rising up all around him, a shimmering golden cage. A bird suddenly erupted in front of him, a bull of brown feathers that spun around it to overtake him flight. Nothing had disturbed it. And that was when I decided to sound and ending it includes a tractor. No, it was too high pitched and moving too fast. Alex knew he was in danger the same way an animal does. He didn't need to ask why or how. Danger was simply there. And even as the dark shape appeared, crashing through the grass, he was throwing himself to one side, knowing it was too late to know what that had been that had been wrong about the second football sign. It'd been brand new, but the first sign that had led him off the road had been weather beaten and old. Something that deliberately led him away and took from the correct path and brought him here to the killing field. He hit the ground and rolled to one side. The vehicle burst, burst through the grass, its front wheel all inches above its head. Alex got a glimpse of a squat black thing with four flat, fat tyres across between the little tractor and the motorbike. He was being ridden by a hunched up figure in grey leather and helmet and goggles. So it was gone, turning down in the grass on the other side. Disappearing instantly as if curtain and drawn. Alex scrambled to his feet and began to run. He knew it what it was now. He did something similar on holiday in the sand dunes of Death Valley in Nevada, a Kawasaki 4x4, prepared with a 400cc engine with automatic transmission, a cold bike. It was circling up, preparing to come after him, and it wasn't alone. A droning scream, and the second bike appeared in front of him, roaring towards him. Cutting a swath through the grass, Alex hurled himself out of its bar, once again crashing into the ground, almost dislocating his shoulder. Meaning that Angel Fields whipped across his face, he had to find somewhere to hide, but he was just he was in the middle of a field and there was nothing apart from the grass itself. Desperately, he fought through it, the blade scratching at his face, half blinding him as he tried to find his way back to the main path. He needed to find someone, anyone, whoever had sent these people. Now he remembered Mr. Green talking on his mobile phone. They could have killed him without any witnesses around, but there, no, there was no one and they were coming up for him again, together this time. Alex could hear the engines whining in unison, coming up behind him, fast behind him. Still running, he glanced over his shoulder and saw them, one on each side, seemingly about to overtake him. It was only the glint of the sun, sight of the glass, slicing itself in half the room of the Hollywood tree. The two cyclists had a shrunk of cheese wire between them. Alex threw himself head first, flat on his stomach. The cheese wire whipped over, over him. If the cheap, if he was standing up, he would have been cut in half. The cord bites separated, arting from each other. At least they went and dropped the wire. Alex had bruised his knee in the last fall, and he was only a matter of time before they cornered him and finished him off. Half limping, he ran forward, searching for something that hired them to defense of it. As apart from the Game Boy and the money, he had nothing in his pocket, not even a pen knife. Engines were distant now. Finding who they'd be mo- any moment they'd be closing in again. The right one with the right hand stood for it. Next time, more cheese wire or something worse. It was worse, much worse. There was a roar of an engine and the glowing cloud of red fire exploded over the grass, blazing it to a crisp. Alex felt it seemed as he shouted, yelled, and threw himself to one side. 
when Riley was holding a flame for a while. He just bolted the aim and fired 20 feet long, meaning to burn Alex alive. And he almost succeeded. Alex was only saved by a narrow ditch in front of him. Alex seemed to be flooded into the ground, into the damp soil. The jet of the flame liquid just above the air above him. It had been close. There was a horrible smell. His own hair. His fire had singed the edges. Legit choking, his face streaked with dirt and sweat. He clambered out of the ditch and ran blindly forward. He had no idea where he was going anymore. Because in a few seconds, the cord would be back. But he was taking only 10 paces before he realised he'd reached the end of the field. There was a woman inside and an electrified threat, carrying as far as you could see it. For the buzzing sound of it, if it not for the buzzing sound that the vent was making, he would have run right into it. That's almost invisible, and the quarterback is moving fast toward him will be unable to hit the warning under his own engine. He stopped and turned around. About 50 yards from him, the grass was being flattened by the still invisible cord as it made his next charge. But this time, Alex waited. He stood there, balanced was on his seal deck and matador. 20 yards, 10. Now he was staying right to the eye of the flamethrower, still gripping the flamethrower. He could smash down the last barrier of glass and leaped onto him, except Alex was no longer there. He dived to one side and too late. The driver saw the effects and looked straight into it. The man screamed as the wire caught him around his neck, almost skyrocketing him. The bike twisted into mid-air and crashed down. The man fell into the grass and lay still. He had torn the fence out of the ground. Alex ran over the man and something. For a moment, he thought it might be Yasmin, but it was a younger man, dark-haired, ugly. Alex had, had never seen him before. The man was unconscious but still freeing. The frame for a belay extinguished behind him. Behind him, we heard the other bike some distance away, but closing. Whoever these people are, they need to be trying to run him down, cut him in half, and to incinerate him. He really had to find a way to get out of there before he got serious. He ran over to the court, which we still to come to resting, lay up, lying on its side. He heaved up again, jumped into the saddle, and kick started it, or tried to. His foot scrambled desperately, but he could not find anything to kick. And at first, he, he, he might have seen the squad bikes. But the piano didn't allow to ride when he was too young. Now, how do you get the damn thing started? There was nothing to kick, so it had to be some sort of manual ignition. He twisted the key, nothing, and saw a red button right in the middle. He pressed it and then coughed into life. At least there was no gears to worry about. Alex twisted the accelerator and yelled out as the machine rocketed, as the machine rocketed away, almost throwing him backward off the saddle. Now he was whipping through the grass to become a green blur, hanging on with the strength as the as the quarterback carried him back toward the footpath. He wasn't sure if he was steering the, the bike or the bike was steering him, but all he cared about that he was still moving. For a ghastly second, his bones rattled as the quad hit a rut and then in the track and bounced upward. For a ghastly second, Alex thought he was gonna be hurled off his bike and into space. But somehow he managed to keep his grip, even though the crash of the tires hitting the ground punched out all his breath. He cut through another green curtain and savagely pulled onto the handlebar, trying to bring the machine under control. He's found the footpath and also the side of the cliff. He was five years more, he was launched himself over the edge into the rocks below. For a few seconds, he sat where he was, the engine idling. Then, well, that was when the other coach was waiting. The camera must have seen what had happened. He reached the footpath and was facing Alex about 200 feet away. Something glinted into his hand, resting on the handlebar. He was carrying a gun. Alex looked back at the way he'd come. It was no good. The path was too narrow. By the time he turned the back around, the band reached him. One shot and it would be a lot. He could go back in the grass, but for the same reason, he wanted to move forward. He started to move forward. 
even though I went for a straight on collision with the other quad. There was no way. The man gunched his engine and spread it forward. Alice stood the same. There were two of them were racing towards the narrow path. A bank of uh, rocks that they rising up the former barrier on either side of the edge of the cliff on the other. There wasn't enough room for them to pass. They could stop or they could crash. If they were going to stop, they had to do it in the next 10 seconds. Cores were getting closer and closer, moving faster all the time. Far below, the waves glittered silver, breaking against the rocks. The grass higher now flashed by. The man fight had gone twice. Alex felt the burst first with slice past his shoulder, the second ricocheted off his side of his bike. Alex, Alex felt the first bullet slice past his shoulder, the second ricocheted off the side of his bike, almost causing him to lose control. The wind rushed into him, hammering at his chasing face. It was the old-fashioned game of chicken. None of them had to stop. None of them had to get out of the way. Sorry. Two. One. It was the man who finally broke. He was less than 20 feet away, so Alex could make the perspiration on his forehead. If he had fired the first shot now, there was no way he could miss. But he was travelling too fast. The path was un- too uneven. He couldn't fire at and drive at the same time, just to assume that a crash was inevitable. He twisted his quad and swerved off the path up into the grass. At the same time, he tried to bring the gun around, but he was too late. Oh, his quad was slanting, tipping over onto the two of its wheels. The man screamed. His quad hit a riff and bounced upward, landing briefly off on the footpath and continued over the edge of the hill. Alex felt the, the, and continued over the edge of the hill. Alex felt that the man had rushed past but he was nothing more than a blur. Now he shuddered to a halt and turned just to just in time to watch another quad to fly off the cliff and into the air. The man, still screaming, managed to separate himself from the machine on the way down, but the two of them hit the water at the same moment. The quad floated for a few seconds longer than the man. Who would send him? It was Nodgy of all who suggested the walk, because Mr. Grant had actually seen him leave. Mr. Grant had given the order and he was sure of it. Alex took the quad, the rest took the quad, took the, quad the rest of the way into Port Talon. The, the sun was still shining because he sped down to the little fishing village, but he couldn't do wrong. He was angry himself because he knew he made too many escapes. She should have been dead now. He knew. Only luck and a low voltage electric fence had managed to keep him alive. Thank you for listening to If I Read. If you would like to see more of Alex Ryder, please follow and leave a five star review.